it's just talking about like strictly market opportunity. Yeah. The the current meat industry globally is worth seven hundred billion dollars, and that's estimated, as I mentioned earlier, to double by the year twenty fifty. Wow. Right. So, yeah. if you look at the plant based milk industry, what they've done is taken ten percent of the dairy industry, and that's still advancing rapidly. Um, if you were to take, and, and they did that in ten years. Mm-hmm. So in in two thousand seven. The, the plant-based milk market was less than 1%. Like, I, you know, I've heard other people say it was statistically non-existent, right? Yeah. <laughs> and over 10 years, they've taken 10% of the market. That's billions of dollars. If plant-based meat and clean meat were to do something similar and take 10% of the global meat market over the next 10 years, um, you're looking at $70 billion. Welcome to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. I'm your host, Pat McCauley. This podcast is all about celebrating the lives of those who have adopted a plant-based or vegan lifestyle and how it has positively impacted their health, relationships, outlook on life, and so much more. For more episodes and information about the benefits of living a plant-based or vegan lifestyle, visit eatgreenmakegreen.com. This week's episode is sponsored by Plant Fit Summit 2017. So when I was over in Singapore a few months back, I met an amazing dude named Luke Tan, uh, a CrossFit athlete over there, uh, just a total beast. Uh, He was a previous guest on the podcast. I interviewed him when I was over there, uh, episode number nine, if you want to go check it out. But at the time, he told me about this uh, summit he was planning that he called Plant Fit Summit. Um, And he was putting it together and traveling all over the place and, and tracking down top doctors, top nutritionists. Uh, top athletes um, all over the world that uh, live plant-based lifestyles. And there's a, there's a total of 33 guests that he interviews. And they're just all incredible uh, you know, experts in their field and very influential people uh, for U.S. citizens, uh, names you'll recognize like uh, Dr. Neil Bernard uh, and, and Rip Esselstyn, uh, the founder of Engine 2, um, all kinds of people. Um, all kinds of different stories, um, you know, whether it's somebody overcoming heart disease, diabetes, and, or cancer through plant-based living, um, or, or, you know, somebody who lost 300 pounds with a plant-based diet, all kinds of amazing stories. There's even one story that stood out. Uh, there's a lady uh, interviewed on the summit that she was given a few months to live after a cancer diagnosis, uh, you know, changed her way of living. And now she's in her sixties and she literally just ran 366 marathons in 366 days. Uh, so just incredible, uh, stories and literally the summit, uh, answers every possible question you can have about health and wellness. Uh, it covers all aspects from what should you be eating? What should you be doing for exercise? Um, you know, mental wellness, just every area. Uh, Luke just did an incredible job kind of, uh, covering all the bases with it. Uh, it starts on September 1st. Uh, it goes through, uh, September 10th. Um, I just highly recommend it. Um, if you're looking for information on kind of what to do to live your best life and make sure you're around for the ones you love and, and all that good stuff. The link to sign up is bit.ly slash EGMG summit. 
That's bit, B-I-T dot L-Y slash E-G-M-G-S-U-M-M-I-T. I'll also leave the link in the show notes on my website, uh, and I highly recommend you check it out. One more thing before I give the intro, I'm riding in the Pam Mass Challenge this year. It's a 200-mile bike ride across the state of Massachusetts in support of Dana-Farber, which is cancer research and cancer treatment. In particular, I'm riding for all the children out there that have been diagnosed with cancer or are living with or or fighting cancer. Uh, I'm trying to raise $10,000 in support of Dana-Farber. The link to uh, donate uh, to my personal donation page is pmc.org slash pm0329. I'll also leave that link in the show notes. Uh, Every bit helps, uh, and I appreciate the support. Before the intro, real quick, just so you know, the last five minutes or so of our conversation got cut out. My computer was acting up on me and unfortunately was unable to save it. But we still had an awesome conversation, and I think it came out great. All right, on this week's episode, I sit down with Rhode Island native Froman Anderson. Froman is the co-founder of a company called Everhope Capital. They're a private venture fund uh, focused on supporting and scaling businesses that are trying to create a more sustainable and, and livable planet for not only our generation, but for future generations Um, It's an area uh, referred to as impact investing, Um, something new to me, and I found it very interesting. Uh, We talk about how Froman got started in entrepreneurship, how him and his younger sister uh, started a business. Um, His younger sister started it at only 14 years old, and he was still going through school, and how they started, grew, and sold um, a successful skincare company. Uh, all while, you know, being very young and and still in school, Uh, why he became vegan, and the enormous opportunity of the clean meat industry, not only from an entrepreneurial standpoint, but um, also the the opportunity to make a real difference in the world with it. Um, So really, we dive all into clean meat, um, and it's really interesting and, and likely the future of meat. Froman's just a great guy, uh, extremely knowledgeable, and I was just very impressed by him overall. I very much enjoyed getting to know him. We went out for some local vegan tacos and and talked about craft beer, so loved it and uh, hope to get to know him more in the future. So without further ado, the fantastic Froman Anderson. All right, I'm here with Roman Anderson of uh, Everhope Capital, um, and we're going to get into all that, but we're, we're in the family offices here in uh, downtown Providence, mm-hmm. and uh, thanks for inviting me in, and uh, we had a great coffee downstairs at a place called Dave's, a uh, great little spot with some vegan options, which was awesome, uh, but, but yeah, thanks for having me, and I'm excited to chat with you anytime I get to combine veganism with entrepreneurship, I'm, uh, I'm excited. So uh, thanks, and, and happy to have you. Yeah, thanks, Pat. It's a pleasure to have you here, and uh, really exciting to talk to somebody else who's so interested in these subjects as well. Yeah, cool. So um, we were talking a little bit over coffee, but uh, for the listeners, can we kind of take it back to childhood and kind of what life was like growing up and how we uh, ended up where we are? Sure, absolutely. Um, 
grew up uh, in the Providence area. Um, uh, my parents both grew up in the area, so definitely, you know, uh, homegrown Rhode Islanders. Um, I have a younger sister named Ava. Um, I would say, you know, where this whole story starts is um, when she actually developed a passion um, about an issue when she was about 14 years old. Um, and she shared that with the family. Uh, it, it really brought us through uh, an interesting learning process together. Um, really what she had come to understand is, um, I would say, the harmful side effects uh, of uh, um, not, uh, toxic chemicals in our personal care products, the products we use every day, uh, be that deodorant, toothpaste, shampoo, home cleaners. Um, so the negative personal health side effects, but also the negative environmental side effects, because those products ultimately end up in the watershed going down our drains. Um, so, you know, it's funny as a, as a 14 year old, um, her first, uh, reaction was to start blogging about it. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say my parents and I really didn't have any idea that she was doing that. She was talking about it at the dinner table, but, uh, and we, and we were all certainly becoming educated about it and, uh, trying to make changes in our lives to be a little bit healthier. Um, but we had no idea that she was sort of yeah, like... so she's 14, she's just blogging away? Yeah, blogging away. <laughs> um, she was doing all this great research to figure out the best products that are out there, the safest products, the best ingredients. Um, and one day she goes to my mom and says, you know, um, I don't have any more products to recommend to my people. And uh, she, because she really was having a tough time finding a full line of products to make it easy for people to, you know, live a more healthy and, and responsible lifestyle. Um, and my mom, I guess, reacted in a couple ways. She said, um, that's interesting. Maybe there's an opportunity here, but also what people, (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think she realized that she had sort of all these followers right online. So, uh, coming from a family of entrepreneurs, we, we sort of grew up in, uh, my mom's, uh, retail store in our hometown, um, after school, spending hours there, seeing how like a business functions. My dad had started multiple businesses, uh, throughout my upbringing. Um, so it was definitely really familiar with entrepreneurship. So it seemed uh, like a really logical, um, step when we, when we identified this problem about, um, yeah, we can educate people or my sister could educate people about, um, you know, the harmful chemicals in their personal care products. But if there wasn't a, an easy solution, um, it was, it was going to be hard to adopt. Um, so I would say that year they, uh, they pitched the idea to a third party manufacturer who did, you know, products for major brands, um, that they wanted to develop a, a full line of non-toxic and, and, and yeah. organic personal care products. Um, and it was really interesting. I think the the lady who ran this company at the time uh, just loved my sister's tenacity and uh, gave us a couple of her chemists time over that summer to develop the first skincare set that they ended up launching. Yeah. So she's 14, like your mom's helping out, I would imagine. I mean, yes. she's 14. Right? Yeah, no, both and, my uh, parents yeah. from the beginning were very uh, good advisors and, and, yeah. and guided uh, she and I uh, along the way. Yeah. Um, so, so when I- do you kind of hop uh... Yeah, I think I, you know, really hopped in when things started to become real, when they said, oh, we have a product and we're trying to sell that product. Well, we we decided to create a direct sales business. Um, Mm -hmm. At the time, it was called Ava Anderson Non-Toxic. It was a business model that my family was very familiar with. The reason we chose to do that is, A, we 
already understood how fast those businesses can scale. But also we realized this is a very new and unique topic of interest. Um, and, and most consumers or, or people around us weren't aware of this message. So what we said is, uh, you know, if we're going to try and put this on a retail shelf, there's not enough room on the back of the bottle to explain this message. You really need that one-on-one time. So we used the party plan method where we had people out there, you know, doing hour-long sessions at their homes, inviting their friends, um, teaching them about, you know, the health opportunities by using more more non-toxic products. Yeah, um, and, and this then, is, and then also offering all the uh, offering the alternative. Yeah, gotcha. This is eight, ten years ago. Yeah, or? yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. And um, so, you know, we started out. We said we're not going to launch the business until we get. I think it was like 150 sales reps. We we needed that many before we could say, okay, we'll go you know, produce this product, grow the inventory and then start selling. But we did that. And, um, over the next seven years, it grew to over 15,000 sales reps in all 50 States. Um, and you know, uh, I, I think that we were a, a part of changing the narrative and the awareness in our society. Now we see companies like honest company being very successful, Yeah, you know, and there was some different, uh, I would say, ideologies about how to create a pure product that, and, a, and a safe and healthy product that might have been a little bit different from theirs but generally speaking it's a it's a better product mm-hmm. um, and, and people are more aware young moms you know very aware of what they're using on their children and in, in terms of you know the toxicity exposure yeah um, so it was it was really great to be a part of that and it really brought our family along this journey of working on a business together but also understanding like a social issue and having a social mission with a business and seeing how scaling a company could really have an impact on spreading awareness and education. You know, for us, it was really never about the money. It was really about how can we, you know, spread this message far and wide. Uh, and that, and that kind of leads me to where we are today and what we're focusing on. Um, I, you know, I, this is a good time to transition into. Yeah. Well, well before that, uh, so you, your sister's starting this. You're you're going through high school around that time, yeah. Yeah, I was just graduating high school. She yep. was she's actually two years younger than me. Yeah. Um. So she was a junior in high school. Yeah. And, and then you went off to Dartmouth College, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where I studied environmental studies. Um. I would say you know that was influenced by my understanding of some of the, more of these topics. But, yeah. yeah. And this whole kind of while you're in school. Your sister's in school, I imagine. Yes. And you're taking this kind of sales rep approach to growing the business. How did you go about getting 15,000 kind of reps for this product? I mean, that's, yeah. that's a lot. I, w- I would say I tried mm. to help in every capacity I could. Operations, product development, um, branding, marketing, uh, packaging, compounding the products. Because at first we were doing third-party manufacturing, but over time we transitioned to making more of the products ourselves, which mm. was a, in its own way like a really interesting experience yeah. uh, that we hadn't set out to do initially. Um, uh, but um, I'm sorry, back to the question. Yeah, no, um, just uh, I don't even know what the question was, actually. I, was, I just wanted more kind of information. Oh, yeah, how we manage this, right. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, you know, my, I would say my, we, we all had our responsibilities and what we were good at. My sister was great at the PR. She was traveling, doing interviews, going to summits and, you know, rounding up the troops as we would call it. And, and my mom was certainly a huge part of this. She was president of the company and she was really pushing this forward. And we also 
developed a great team around us. So we had a CFO, we had a CEO eventually, mm. we had a head of manufacturing. So all of the things that were such a, a so time consuming, we over over time were able to focus more on strategy. I was able to, you know, focus on my studies and know that the day to day was generally sort of being taken care yeah. of. It, it definitely took time to get yeah. there, but um, we were fortunate enough to ultimately be in that sort of situation. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I, I just love like the family dynamic of this. All this gets me like fired up, you know, this like entrepreneurial pursuit. I love it. Um, so you leave Dartmouth, right? And by this point, has you have you guys already moved on from the company by the time you graduate or? No. So I, I went to work uh, for the company after I graduated full time, um, you know, various different uh, aspects of the business. Um, but we ended up selling it, uh, I think a year after I graduated. Okay. Um, so, you know, that was an amazing seven, eight years, um, huge learning experience for our family. Uh, I, I'll, you know, I'll be very transparent about the fact that, uh, that's a very difficult thing for a family to go through. Like sure. it really challenges relationships, but I think it can be also mm-hmm. a great opportunity, mm-hmm. um, um, to strengthen those relationships and how you communicate yeah, and things right. like that. So you had this awesome experience with kind of your first startup and your sister's first startup. And then, you know, that you go through that, come, you get out of the company and kind of what's next, you know, what do you do next? Yeah, I think, I think that was my question, right? It was, uh, I was, I was, I felt very passionate and fulfilled by the work that we were doing, um, at Ava Anderson, not toxic, by the way, the company is now called pure Haven essentials. It's, it's still going well and still based in, uh, Warren RI and, um, that's awesome. And yeah, and the products are great. Um, highly recommend them. But, uh, yeah, so I, I guess I was looking for that next sort of, uh, career move, something that would be equally fulfilling and, yeah. and feel like I was making a difference in the world. And, um, that's hard. It, it's yeah. hard. It's hard to find. And, uh, I would say over the uh, the year afterwards, I I sort of accidentally came across the plant based and vegan movement um, through you know different interactions and and I guess serendipitous events. Um, I was having some health challenges, so I was really interested in learning about health and wellness and and what was out there in terms of uh, uh, opportunities to become you know a healthier person. I was also um, you know, reading and understanding the environmental aspects of animal agriculture at the same time, um, seeing documentaries like Cowspiracy really were eye-opening. And and in parallel, I also met a few individuals uh, in, in the Providence area who were vegan, who um, I respected very much, and, and that was a learning experience as well. Um, so all of this was sort of happening at the same time, and um, I, I ended up coming vegan April 22nd um let's see 2016 yeah you get the you even get the the date yeah I remember because (laughs) I was thinking about doing it the week before and I kind of already was doing it but I hadn't told my family or anybody yeah and uh, I remember like oh you know Earth Day is coming up later in the week that might be a a nice day to officially do it (laughs) so I just remember because it's Earth Day but uh but yeah so did you so you obviously had like the experience from the first business. Um, but did you know, like you kind of were in that for a long time while you were going through school, did you know, like, and you come from this background of entrepreneurs, did you know that was your path to stay on this kind of entrepreneurial? I did see like you, you were briefly at, um, a job in finance, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was that like a, yeah. 
Was was that like a like for me? Like I lasted like at my first job, I lasted like four months, and I just I that path was not for me. You yeah. know? Was that similar? It's just kind of in, in your in your blood and kind of how you operate. That you, I mean, it was similar. I think yeah. um, you know, growing up seeing that, also that being my, the majority of my experience, just being like a generalist and and operating a company and and always having new, interesting, diverse challenges, and and you're constantly learning and constantly challenging. Yeah yourself that yeah it can be difficult sometimes to go into a setting where you're sort of you have a very specific role you don't deviate too much there's not a whole lot of uh, change of scenery um you know i i had a couple different internships and jobs and i would say financial services because it it was an area of interest of mine and i wanted to yeah. learn as much as i could but uh, yeah I, I always had the interest of hope or i guess hope that i would continue to maybe start other companies or be involved in startups and, and operating companies because I, that's what excites me uh, in general yeah so earth day you decide to go vegan and <laughs> uh you tell the tell the parents so was it it was mostly you're coming from the environmental side to start with, right? Yeah, um, initi- and a little health initially, uh, yeah. and then it became health. And you know, if it was, I, I, I guess I kind of say, you know, if it was the environment and the health, I'd be plant based, which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm really only vegan because I got to like an, a certain ethical um, side of things. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you come home, you tell tell the parents, what's the what's the reaction kind of at home? And you know, I I was I feel very fortunate, very lucky. I think part of having those. Ex- that experience of growing the business and and seeing some of our more social and environmental challenges um, and and health challenges as a society, I think it sort of prepped my family a little bit for hearing about this sort of message. Um, You know, I think there was, uh, you know, certainly a little bit of, you know, misunderstanding and um, maybe a little bit of just uh, uh, interest and intrigue. Um, uh, But it was, it was, it was really great. I would say I overwhelmingly got the support of my family, um, my now fiance um, and her family. Like everybody was super um, supportive of what I was doing. And, um, you know, I had opportunities to share why I was doing it yeah. over the coming weeks and months. And, it, it, you know, it was, I didn't expect this at all. Um, but everybody in my, well, my parents and my sister and my fiance all became vegan or plant-based or some variation of that over the coming two or three months. Yeah. Um, so it was really a whole transition for our family um, that was really exciting that they were a part of that with me. Uh, I know that that is not the case for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and that can you know be very difficult, but I was fortunate enough to be able to experience that. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and we talked a little bit about this before of how, you know, it's interesting the different types of people that are able to take the information they're given and then tie that information and those beliefs to their actual daily actions. And it sounds like like your family and your fiance and in her family, you know, were are able to do that. And a lot of people they they know the the harm that, that they're doing by eating a certain way to both their health the environment other creatures, but they can't, and they agree with it. They totally agree with it, but they can't shift to actually take action in their life and take the meat and dairy off their plates and, and make other kind of lifestyle changes. So that's really cool that, you know, your family just has that, you know, they have that ability and and jumped, jumped behind you and and, and supported you. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I'll say though, like, you know, like I say, they're a little bit prepped for that. And, And that made that conversation much easier because we had had other conversations like that about other things previously. I would say even three or four years earlier, 
I don't think that 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 would have necessarily taken place or not as quickly. Mm. Um, so, you know, in, in many ways, they're the same people, but, you know, it's just we're all in sort of this, I guess, transition and learning journey. And yeah, it, it, it was at a point where it made it a little bit easier. for Yeah. Me, but, yeah. So yeah. I'm assuming during this time you uh, kind of come up with the, the whole idea for Everhope. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, especially, you know, the, initially it was just like a, a me thing. I was, it was fo- focused very internally, like m- my consumption and, and my j- journey with veganism and plant-based eating. Um, it wasn't until I started to look more outward at opportunities to share the message, like how can I engage on that subject matter to, you know, help the environment, help the animals. Um, you know, what, what could I be doing more than just like focusing on my own consumption sure, to, yeah. to further that message and, and sort of further that, um, that agenda, I guess. But, um, so when I started to focus on what opportunities I, I started to focus on, well, what am I good at? What, what do I have access to and ability? And, um, so, you know, initially I think I was focused on starting a business in, in, in the space. And, um, I think, you know, for various reasons, it just didn't work at the time, didn't have great ideas. I, I didn't see like the market opportunity in what I was focused on. I think there's amazing opportunity in this space. And I, I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, definitely. At, at, we'll get into at, that for yeah, sure. we'll get yeah. into that. Um, but it just, yeah, the timing of it didn't work necessarily to start up a business, although I'm still working on those ideas. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my, my family is involved in uh, investing and, and angel investing. And I thought, you know, well, here's an opportunity. There's so many um, startups and, and, and young companies in the space that are having a tremendous impact. What if we can help support those companies financially and, and help them strategize, use what we learned with our business and, and help them reach their goals? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, you know, there's an opportunity for us as a family to use what we have to, uh, you know, progress that in that way. Um, you know, we, like I said earlier, we saw the power of a market-based solution to grow awareness in our society about a certain issue. And and I truly think that there's a, you know, a, a good amount of companies out there, plant-based and vegan companies that have a tremendous uh, potential ahead of them to change the consciousness of our country and our world. Definitely. So, you know, trying to be a part of that was, was where I saw an opportunity to start Everhope Capital and, and start doing some angel investing and, and some venture capital. And yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So on a personal front, what has the change done for you um, mentally, physically, just, just in your life in general and, and your families? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, I didn't see some radical physical transformation I would say I felt a little bit more energetic um Mm -hmm. it helped some of my lethargy I was also recovering like I said from some health issues right so it was I think maybe at the time a little bit harder for me to discern what was me just getting better and what was maybe the plant-based eating yeah um so I you know I I don't want to throw too much like anecdotal yeah sure you know stories out there but um generally like I I feel better than I have in years. Like I'm, I'm thriving, I'm cycling, skiing, I'm active, you know, um, and certainly you can go out there and see, you know, the hundreds of plant-based professional athletes who are performing at a super high level. So for me, once I saw that, it was like, okay, this is a no brainer. Like I feel great. Um, uh, I, I don't think at all switching to a plant-based diet has hindered me in any way. I think if anything, it's probably allowed me to feel yeah, better energy, um, perhaps more clear-minded about things. Mm. But yeah, yeah, 
Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, uh, Everhope, um, what is kind of the overall mission? Uh, I know you connected with uh, the new crop capital guys you talked about um, in your, your um, you know, doing some work with them. Um, what's, what's for both Everhope and somebody like new crop, what is the, the big picture uh, goals and what types of companies are you guys kind of targeting and, and getting into and why? Yeah, if you definitely. Can touch on some of that. I think um, we're still really new to this. So our, our mission and our, I guess our thesis is still evolving. But generally, I would say what we're trying to do is support, um, you know, market-based solutions uh, to animal product alternatives and innovative food solutions, materials. So be that um, plant-based meats and cheeses and eggs, um, or plant-based materials, or, um, you know, what's really exciting is, uh, I think the technology in the cellular agriculture space. So clean meat, cultured Mm -hmm. meat, um, and, and the other ways you can use that technology for other animal-based products. Um, I, I think that's really our focus is, is on supporting and funding the alternatives that are going to make the transition to plant-based and veganism, um, much easier for the average person. Um, and I would say, you know, I don't want to speak for other funds out there. Um, there's several that are doing really great work in this space. Um, uh, you, you know, you mentioned new crop capital, um, stray dog capital. Um, there's, uh, power plant ventures in, in, in Hong Kong. There's, um, green Monday ventures, um, and I think there's others in the works right now. So there are other funds and groups of people and, and individual investors. Um, there's, there's dozens and dozens of individual investors who are having a major impact in this space. Um, but I would say the majority of people I meet are really all interested in funding these alternatives to your conventional animal-based products um, to make the transition easier for people, to make people just more aware of it. Um, yeah, and, and so I would say that's our focus with Everhope Capital. Yeah. yeah, and to tie back in what I said earlier about people not being able to take action once they have the, the knowledge and the, and the facts, um, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, how why clean meat and these alternative dairy products um, are so important is because if you give that person that's not able to make that change in their life and and tie the action to the belief. But if you can give them a product that is just as good as what they're used to or better, um, that they will be able to take that, that next step. Would you, would you agree there? Yeah. That's what, that's why it's kind of so important. Absolutely. I mean, we're very, very excited with where that technology is going. I think, um, and I think it's going to be very successful sooner than most people realize. Like I think, you know, within the next uh, few years, we'll see hopefully something on the market. And then certainly within the next five to 10 years, I think it's going to become widespread um, very quickly. Yeah. And, and I think you hit the nail mm-hmm. on the head, though. Something j- like exactly the same or better, yeah. right? So what do most people care about? It's taste, you know, accessibility, and price. Mm-hmm. And if you can create, let's say, a ground beef burger out of clean meat, that is exactly the same in taste, it costs the same or less, and it's available everywhere, well, now you've got something that most people 
will start adopting into their diets. And especially when you start to look at the other aspects of the technology that are particularly promising and interesting. So when you have a clean meat product uh, and it's exactly like ground beef, let's say you're still going to have the saturated fat, you're still mm -hmm. going to have the cholesterol, you're still going to have these some of these bad things that we try to avoid with a whole food plant-based diet. Right. So that's, that's certainly there, at least initially. I, I can get into that more later. But some of the things that you're avoiding are the vast amounts of, you know, uh, I would say... Uh, uh, environmental issues yeah. you know 90 percent less roughly like 90 percent less inputs of calories water grain energy um and then also obviously you're if that can take a sizable portion of the market you're looking at potentially billions of animals lives saved i mean i, I think it's around 70 billion land animals we mm. slaughter each year and that's actually projected to double by the year 2050 um, so if you can start to gain 10 or 20% of that market share over the next decade or two decades, you're saving billions of animals lives. So mm. that there's huge potential there. Um, but also, even though at least initially it will be the same, like I would say chemically, uh, and its effect on your body, there are other health benefits to clean meat. So for example, um, E. coli and other foodborne illnesses that are so common in, in our meat production, you know, the way we produce meat today, yeah. um, that is really non-existent with clean meat because that's generally a, um, a byproduct of the slaughter process. Mm -hmm. When an animal is getting slaughtered and, 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 and going through that um, system, there, that's where the bacteria is introduced to that product. Yeah, they've done in, yeah. you know, interesting studies to look mm -hmm. at clean meat and it and there's far less bacteria growth far far longer shelf life um some of those foodborne illnesses aren't you know inherent mm. uh, because they're they're not going through the slaughter process yeah um and then i would say additionally you know one of the really exciting aspects of it as well is um there's no need for the antibiotic usage so when we talk about um existential threats to humanity we, yeah. we've been talking about artificial intelligence uh, climate change uh, nuclear war but one that's often left off the list is antibiotic resistance yeah, yeah. and uh, it, it, it is a serious threat to our species if over the coming uh, 20 30 years we run out of antibiotics and and there's estimates by the World Bank and, and the World Health Organization that show a drastic increase in, in loss of life because of antibiotic resistance. Yeah. So, so to explain that to somebody who may not be familiar with it, basically, so I, I don't know the percentage, but the over 75%, I believe, of antibiotics are used on animals versus humans in the U.S.? Yeah, I, I, I believe it's upwards of 80. I mean, depends what yeah. sort of figures you're looking at, but it's the vast majority of antibiotics, right. at least in the U.S., are used in animal agriculture. Yep. And the actual term is escaping me at this point, but the and the majority of that is not even used to treat sick animals. It's to help them grow faster. Yeah. And that was something that really shocked me after I learned about that in the past year. Um, you know, in addition to the fact that many of these animals are kept in terrible conditions and, you know, they're basically fed antibiotics to reduce the disease rates and, and, and death rates within these farms, they're being fed these antibiotics to increase their growth. Rate. Right. And then because we then eat those animals, right? Um, and we take in some level of those antibiotics and 
we slowly become resistant to those antibiotics. Am I saying that right? Well, I think there's different <clears throat> mechanisms in which the antibiotic resistance is, occurs. Um, I'm not an expert, and I think there's some interesting studies being done right now in this area. Um, that is perhaps one of the ways it happens, but yeah. I think a lot of it is just the human contact on the farms. Mm. So when those you know pathogens and and you know uh, that antibiotic resistance is is developing on the farm, humans are coming in contact with that uh, at, at the site, and and um, you know it's it's human contact with this livestock is where we've seen other like avian flus and things like this. And, and, yeah. Um, so it's certainly you know there's plenty of precedents for this sort of thing, and yeah. and you know ultimately all the excrement or waste from these concentrated animal feed operations um, is not being treated properly. Um, you know, I think it's like seven times the amount of waste is produced by the animal agriculture industry than humans in this country. And it's not treated in any sort of way similar to how we treat our own waste. Um, so a lot of that, you know, uh, those that that byproducts is entering our watersheds and our environment. Um, so you know, there's I think there's different mechanisms for exactly how the antibiotic resistance occurs and and how it's spread to humans. But yeah, in, in the whole, the big fear with it is that humans ultimately through this become, you know, immune to these antibiotics mm -hmm. and you know, we have no defense against kind of the serious things we use antibiotics for yes. is ultimately, um, in, in, in its simplest terms, that's kind of the, the big fear. Exactly. Yeah. So I find it funny just talking about kind of the, the process of, you know, slaughtering animals for food. Um, I find it funny how a lot of people will say like tofu's gross or <laughs> like, you know, yeah. kind of these alternative meats are gross when, you know, those people are, are consuming a rotting flesh. They're, they're consuming another creature that, you know, the process you just explained, you know, a creature that, you know, has waste and, and is living and is, um, you know, uh, another being. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I just find it funny that people think like that meat eaters and they, they think, you know, tofu and things like are gross and mm -hmm. they're sitting there eating this bacteria laden flesh. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's like when you, when you change your mindset, it's like, that's gross. That's, that's not only inhumane, but that's, that's gross. You know, and you, yeah. you know, everything from fecal matter to antibiotics to uh, a lot of people don't know in the dairy, like that you're pus. getting all the, yeah. yeah, the pus and all the hormones yeah. of a pregnant animal, yes. you know, you're putting that into your body. So, I just find that funny that people don't view meat as gross. Absolutely. Um, and I, I was guilty of that, you know, years ago myself. Me too. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and if you relate it specifically to clean meat, mm. what I've noticed is, you know, and colloquially it's, it's termed lab-grown meat. What we're trying to do is call it clean meat and cultured meat because that's actually what it is. Yeah. Every pro food product that's on a shelf now is at one point developed in a lab, but that's yeah. not where it's produced. Mm -hmm. The way clean meat will be produced is much like a brewery actually mm. you'll be able to walk through and see the stainless steel tanks and it it will be a very transparent process which is a stark contrast to our current system where we raise animals in you know dark closed off sheds and we cre we have created laws and policy to make sure that those are never looked into um 
and and that's you know a topic for a whole nother day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, it's interesting to see people's reaction when I talk about cultured and clean meat. They they kind of say ew. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people have this sort of ick reaction, and I kind of ask the same question. I say, okay, well, this was created in a process that was. Uh, analogous to how your beer was produced, mm-hmm. um, you know, very similar. Um, it doesn't have any of the pathogens. You don't have to slaughter an animal. There's no fecal contamination. Yeah, and um, and it's better for the environment. It's uh, you know potentially better for your health. So what what's what's the ick factor? Yeah, you know. Yeah, right. And and I think you know obviously most people aren't able to put it in those sorts of terms. So I try and do that and help them you know see that, but. Um, yeah, sim- similar yeah. to tofu. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. So you have, uh, you know, these, these businesses like yourself, you even have the big meat producers now, you know, investing in alternative meats. Yes. yes. And so it's obviously, um, the people are viewing it as a massive opportunity and, mm-hmm. and a lot of people would argue the, the, f- the future of, of meat. Yeah. I think there's a, a lot of similarities um, or, or parallels to what Tesla has done with the mm. auto industry, mm. right? They've come out with this truly innovative product that actually has many advantages to the uh, internal combustion engine besides just the fact that it's cleaner and better yeah. for our environment and our health. Um, but they have, you know, sort of disrupted this centuries old or, you know, 100 plus year old industry of uh, the internal combustion engine. Uh, some companies are quicker to the ball in trying to create their own electric vehicle program. Some still aren't investing in it. And, you know, there obviously people come down on different sides of the argument and, and certainly, um, you know, the timeline of when these things will come to market and when they will sort of take over the market. But there's no doubt, you know, look at the 500,000 pre-orders for the Tesla Model 3. I mean, people are excited yeah. about that. that yeah. That's going to disrupt that market immensely. And I think we're going to see a very similar thing happen with the meat industry. Um, we, Like you mentioned, um, we've seen Tyson invest in Beyond Meat, a plant-based meat alternative company Um, Cargill right I believe yeah I'm sure that those companies are interested in investing in that space I'm not familiar if they've already invested but you know I I I have seen some of these companies at these conferences you know they're they're talking about plant-based meat and clean meat and they know that it's there it's going to be interesting to see over the next couple years who engages in what way? Are they going to start maybe their own products? Are they going to invest in the space? Will some ignore it entirely? Um, but what we've seen with the dairy industry is plant-based milks have taken over 10% of the dairy market, yeah. at least in the U.S. I'm not sure if that's U.S. or global. Um, but, you know, that's a so that's billions of dollars in market share that the plant-based milk space has taken from the dairy industry, and they're hurting right now. Mm. And... You know, I would say the large meat producers of the world have seen that and said, okay, we, we don't want that to happen to us. This is going to happen very quickly. And how can we be a part of it rather than, you know, be disrupted by it? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I maybe this is just anecdotal or, or observations, but I, I, I see more of support for the clean meat and plant-based meat industry from some of these traditional meat, you know, uh, producers, rather than uh, maybe the headwinds they would cause 
uh, similar to the oil and gas industry and what they've done to renewable yeah. energies. Gotcha. Um, so that's very exciting mm. because if that if if the traditional meat producers of our world see this as you know an opportunity, an economic opportunity for them to diversify their operations and their revenue stream and you know be more resilient against these sort of technological disruptions. I think that's only good for the animals in our environment and, and, you know, offering these sort of products to people and their health. Yeah. And economically, it has to be significantly more efficient to, you know, create clean meat versus buying land, you know, deforesting land, raising, you know, (laughs) animals, killing animals, transporting animals. You have all these steps, which, which creates the unsustainable nature of the whole process but from a business standpoint um it's got to cut a ton of your costs and has to be economically very interesting to even you know kind of the people that it's threatening to disrupt absolutely i mean the traditional animal agriculture industry is incredibly inefficient and they have tried to make it as efficient as they can yeah Yeah. um you know if we look at clean meat I think it's ultimately going to take like two weeks to grow uh, basically a burger, and it takes two years to raise an ant like a like a, a cow before you can slaughter it for yeah. that same sort of product. So uh, yeah, if you just look at that, I mean that's a game changer for that industry. Um, you know, the traditional animal agriculture industry is actually reliant quite heavily on subsidies of the corn industry and, exactly. and the feed crops. So. There's an inherent disadvantage for some of these clean meat companies, but they have a technological advantage where I think over, you know, the coming years, I think that they can absolutely become not just competitive with cheap meat, but cheaper than cheap meat. And uh, that's, I think, when you'll just see widespread adoption. Um, So, yeah, really exciting times. So what would you say is the biggest challenge for these clean meat companies? It's got to be... I would imagine price is is up there mm-hmm. on kind of the top of the list driving. I mean, I know right now prices must be very expensive in mm-hmm. getting it down to a price that's equivalent with regular meat. Yeah, sure. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I think if you look at what's been produced, like companies have produced clean chicken, clean duck, clean beef. Uh, I'm not clean sure. shrimp. Clean, I'm pretty sure. Right. Perhaps. I know there's plant based yeah. shrimp. Uh, I'm not not sure if I'm not sure if there's clean shrimp. I get you. Um, But uh, the technology is is relatively there. Like Mm. it's already been done. It's just very expensive. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these companies now they're going through the exercise of raising capital and trying to drive down costs to and and you know develop better equipment. Um, You know they're taking a lot. They've been taking a lot of equipment from the biomedical industry and like that and how they like print now they're starting to like develop organs and print and grow organs it's very expensive you know equipment and especially when things are single use so you know the model of the future where it looks more like a brewery that's a very efficient um, scalable model Um, and uh, yeah so the more capital they can raise at this point to increase those efficiencies and and the and the uh, infrastructure and drive down costs on certain um, portions of the production process is where you'll see the drops in cost. But this isn't something that's just on the horizon. Like this has already been occurring. So yeah. Dr. Mark Post, um, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him actually a couple months ago uh, at a reducitarian conference in New York. Just, you know, he really started all this. He was the first guy to create and eat that 
clean meat burger on TV about four years ago. Is this Impossible Foods burger? Or no, no, is no. It a... It's clean meat developed yeah. in a, in a, in oh, a wow. lab. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. he, he did this four years ago on TV. Really? That long ago? Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I could be wrong about this, but yeah, roughly, yeah. I think the price per pound was about $2 million, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But when the iPhone was first developed... You know, I've heard that it was, you know, uh, you know, hundreds Similar. of millions yeah, yeah, of dollars yeah. to, to develop that first iPhone. Right. And now look where we are today. And if you look at the cost of clean meat, it's been dropping, uh, you know, dramatically and consistently over the last several years. So I, I think over the winter, it, you know, it depends on which companies and where they're at. But, you know, it was tens of thousands of dollars, not hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And, you know, there's... Uh, you know, we think where the technology is going is something that is, um, you know, going to be affordable um, or, you know, over the coming years. So really exciting. Do you see, I mean, is the future um, animal cruelty free or do you feel the, so say we, in the next 20 years, we get to the point where there is clean everything, meats of all kinds. And plant-based. That, and Plant-based, yeah. healthier for you, cost less, better for everyone. Um, not sacrificing taste. Do you see that being the future and us looking back and saying, why the heck did we used to kill animals to eat for food? Or do you see there that there will always be at least kind of these niche kind of meat producers and um, obviously we'll have less of an impact on kind of daily eating, but we'll always be there? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I think, you know, and and you know, it, it, the timeline is always in question, like when yeah. will this actually happen? But yeah. if you look at the next 50, 100 years, like it's totally inevitable, I think, that this sort of technology and these sorts of options and this knowledge becomes pervasive mm. throughout our culture. Like there's going to be a, a complete paradigm shift, I believe. And, you know, it will be great for our environment. It will be great for public health. Um, it will be great for the animals, certainly. Yeah. Um, but will it ever be completely gone from our society i'm not so sure i mean if you look at you know things like the civil rights movement and racism we've come it seems like such a long way in a relatively short amount of time i'm sure that actually would be argued but um but we're not there like racism still exists in our society um heck like slavery still exists in areas of the world and you know so these are things we I, I hope one day that we can rid of our society through, you know, education and technology and these sorts of things. But, you know, do I see, you know, in the next 50, 100 years world where it's like completely devoid of that, you know, it, off somewhere, somebody's not raising an animal. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't go as far to say that. Right. Uh, I would like to see that, but yeah. I'm not so sure that that's possible. Yeah. But. So from a kind of ethical standpoint, There'll still be people doing it just as, you know, that was a good comparison, racism. Um, And also from kind of a health standpoint, right? There's still people that smoke. There's still people that, regardless of what you tell them uh, about about the the health implications, they still smoke, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was an awesome awesome rundown on kind of the clean meat alternative... uh, yeah, and just to be clear, yeah. like uh, because maybe I wasn't uh, upfront. I mean, clean meat, cultured meat. It's a it's a fundamentally different process than the plant based alternatives. It's where you're taking you're using animal cells to culture and grow, you know, the the meat and and the fat and the tissue that is you know identical to where that comes from. 
And, you know, I think there's some criti- uh, criticism of this industry, perhaps rightfully so, that, you know, in the beginning and still in some ways, you know, they have you to need harvest. An to be in it. Yeah. Right. They have to harvest. And, and most of these companies are doing a really good job of they're trying to be in touch of, with companies that where animals die from like a natural cause and then they harvest those cells. So there's, you know, a, it's a, certainly an effort on that front. Mm. But I think any one of these companies will tell you like their ultimate goal is to not be reliant on any animal. You know, I think eventually they'll need to take what I've heard is, um, you know, a very tiny biopsy, maybe the size of like a a sesame seed. Um, But that could indefinitely produce the world supply of cultured meat. Yeah. So, and and they'll be able to replicate these cell lines. So you won't have to keep going back Back to the the animals and there won't, you know, there will be no suffering on their part and these sorts of things. So, um, some people say, well, you know, they're using animals right now and yeah, they have to use some to develop this technology, but you know, and, and, and I'm certainly idealistic about certain things when it comes to veganism. But on this front, I, I tend to be more pragmatic because I see the potential it can have for animals and humans in our environment. Right. Um, so that's the difference between um, clean meat and plant-based. So plant-based, you're taking pea protein and, and plant-based sources to kind of replicate a meat type. Exactly. Corn, wheat, gluten, gotcha. these sorts of plant compounds, um, you know, breaking that down and rebuilding it into... Um, things that would look and taste like a like a meat or a dairy or an egg product. Yeah. Um, so to kind of point out the the differences that are are available in the market now. So kind of the the big player. So in Impossible Foods, is that plant based or clean? Plant based. Plant based. Yeah. There there are no from what I, from what I'm aware of. There's no clean meat or in the market. Clean anything on the gotcha. market. Gotcha. It's okay. still too, it's still too pricey. So anything you see out there, you know. Uh, well, almond milk and soy milk, quite obviously, is yeah. plant-based. But, yeah. you know, the gardenes and tofurkeys and corns and, uh, uh, you know, Beyond Meat, Impossible Foods, all those are, are plant-based products. Gotcha. And okay. it's, you know, that it might become, start to become a little bit more confusing in the future because there might start to be blends. Like, there are companies I've seen coming out that are or in talks about, you know, blending plant-based with animal products mm. or blending mm. in the future, like clean meat with animal products. You know, I don't know if that's something that I would personally want to support. It might be if it, if it's, yeah. if we think it's to the benefit of animals and humans in the environment, but, um, yeah. So, but, but generally everything you'll see like the, you know, that frozen food section or in the case of beyond meat, it's now in the, you know, meat aisle yeah. or next to the other yeah, raw, that's right. raw yeah. patties. That's all plant-based. Yeah. Okay. So that, I'm glad you made that distinction because I use the term pretty interchangeably and I, uh, I'm, I'm glad you made that, that distinction. I'm learning here too. That's yeah, no, awesome. no problem. I, I, yeah, I had to learn it as yeah. well. So, <laughs> so uh, what is kind of next for you personally? Um, you have Everhope going. You, you kind of are, are starting a, a little work with a new crop. And kind of what's, uh, what's your um, kind of ideal future just in terms of yourself and where you want to kind of go in the space? Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm I'm trying to figure that out. I mean, I'm very passionate about these sorts of companies and, and these issues. And I think I'll, I just want to be opportunistic and take advantage of the opportunities I see to, you know, progress on these fronts, whether that is um, continuing to support and invest in, in companies and early stage companies and, and help them along their journey to reach their goals, um, or if that's starting a, uh, another business, um, 
or if it's engaging, you know, maybe philanthropically or, you know, there's, I, I think there's so many ways to engage on the subject. You know, ultimately I feel like I want to do all of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I just don't know what that looks like. And, you know, part of why I'm, I'm not just doing ever hope I'm trying to go get some experience with another fund, maybe like new crop capitals to learn, like, how do they do it? Right. Mm. Like how are people who have been successful and very impactful at this? Like, what is their strategy? What are their thoughts on where the industry is going? Like try just trying to align myself with people doing this longer and more successfully, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's such a cool space because there's so much opportunity as an entrepreneur yeah. to, you know, make a living and, and, you know, uh, succeed and, and have success. But at the same time, it's for such an awesome cause yes. uh, that it's like, for me, um, you know, being in the space, it's like, that's the dream, right? You have this enormous opportunity to, for success, but also it, there's, there's this good component tied to it. Yeah, uh, it's it's awesome. It's just talking about like strictly market opportunity. Yeah, the the current meat industry globally is worth seven hundred billion dollars, and that's estimated, as I mentioned earlier, to double by the year twenty fifty. Wow! Right. So, yeah. if you look at the plant based milk industry, what they've done is taken ten percent of the dairy industry, and that's still advancing rapidly. Um, if you were to take, and, and they did that in ten years, mm. so in in two thousand seven. The, the plant-based milk market was less than 1%. Like, I, you know, I've heard other people say it was statistically non-existent, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and over 10 years, they've taken 10% of the market. That's billions of dollars. If plant-based meat and clean meat were to do something similar and take 10% of the global meat market over the next 10 years, um, you're looking at $70 billion. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And then plus because the demand for that is growing. So... Um, and that, and that's just over the next 10 years. Like there yeah. is literally a $70 billion opportunity or more waiting to be had for the people who are getting into this space and the companies who are playing in this space. And yeah. so it's, yeah, it's super exciting because there's, you know, a huge potential to scale these products and these solutions, um, you know, while having just like an incredibly positive impact on for animals and, and our environment and our health. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I got a, a couple more for you. Yeah. One kind of fun one here. Uh, what is something that most people maybe don't know about you that you could maybe share with us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, don't know about me. That was a curveball. You didn't tell me anything. keeping it on your toes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I think, um, and maybe this is sort of... Uh, you know, in, embarrassing a little bit, but I think we were mentioning earlier, like I, I've, I've had a, a major transition over the last several years and, mm. and with my plant-based and my vegan, you know, um, transformation, I guess you could call it for lack of a better word. Um, but when I graduated, uh, from school with my degree in environmental studies, like my dream was someday to like, you know, uh, have, uh, a farm that had animals on it and was sort of like a sustainable in quotations and like renewable type farm. Um, because when I was actually in school and I was, you know, taught, well, how do we make animal agriculture more sustainable? Not, oh, is animal agriculture inherently unsustainable? <laughs> right. And so I, I graduated with, you know, the pastoral sort of like, Michael Pollan-esque um, vision in my mind. I thought that would, would be like a beautiful way to live someday. 
Um, that's changed a lot. I mean, I still love the idea of like having like a farm maybe someday and like living on a farm and, and even having animals, but perhaps it's like more of a sanctuary, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, that's been a major shift for me. Um, but I, I just maybe want to share that because like, I think it just goes to show how people can change. Like I thought that that was my dream and what I wanted to work towards and, and it changed. Yeah. Like it's okay to change those sort of things. Like I think some people, you know, when they first learn about plant-based eating or veganism, they get scared or, or anxious because it doesn't exactly fit with the life that they pictured for themselves. Mm -hmm. That's certainly how I first felt when I learned about it. Um, you know, evidenced by my, you know, want to have a farm with animals yeah, on it yeah. and make my own cheese and yeah. think crazy things like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the more I learn and, and, you know, I, I change those dreams and, and I think now they're more meaningful and I'm more excited about them than I was even previously. So, you know, that's something maybe I don't share a lot with people. Maybe I'm a little like, you know, uh, embarrassed about that because yeah, sure, of you know sure. what I'm focused on yeah, now. Yeah. But I, I think it's maybe a good you know sort of story to share to, for people who are like interested in this sort of thing to say like hey like you know I've been there. Yeah. Like I've been at a point where I thought this didn't fit with my lifestyle, didn't fit with my dreams and my the future version of myself that I saw. But you know just trying to search for like truth and doing the right thing like it actually you know improved my life. Uh, much much more than I ever could have imagined. Um, not just for myself too, like for my loved ones and and, and my relationships with people. Mm. So. Mm. I love that, man. I love that. Um, all right, one more before the last one here. Another fun one. Would you rather? Again, this is more health focused, but would you rather smoke a cigarette at breakfast, lunch, or in dinner, or would you? rather have a piece of meat at breakfast lunch and dinner oh man <laughs> that, that's a lose lose <laughs> um i i'd probably take the cigarette mm -hmm. because i think at this point you know the cigarette i mean okay so you could argue secondhand smoke impacts others around you but really the cigarette is just sort of impacting you mm -hmm. versus if i were to eat that meat product it might have a similar health side effect over the long term but it's affecting so much more than me it's, you know it's taking an animal's life and, yep. and and it's um you know destroying our environment and 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 causing antibiotic resistance and all these other sort of terrible things that unfortunately are are part of that process to that product getting to your plate so. yeah absolutely i like it For those that are interested in adopting a plant-based lifestyle, you're in luck. That's what I do. I work with men and women all over the world to adopt this lifestyle, to heal inflammation, to get off their medications and treat their health at the source, which is with diet and lifestyle. My program called Seven Weeks for the Rest of Your Life is designed to teach you exactly how to transition into a healthier lifestyle and I give you all the tools, all the resources, everything you need to adopt this lifestyle and apply it to your life for years to come. For more information on my course, pop over to eatgreenmakegreen.com slash coaching. I'll see you guys on the next episode. Have a great week. <music>